Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. This introduction is going to be a very short one, basically because I want to jump right in and let you all listen for yourself. As a French fashion critic, Karine Bizet, who is not one to live her life as an open book on Instagram, finally gives us a glimpse into her life in fashion. Karine is one of only a handful of true, take no prisoners, speak truth to power fashion writers who is working in the industry. Well, actually, she's no longer working in the industry. Earlier this year, after building a name for herself at Madame Figaro and leaving an indelible black ink mark on Le Monde with her must-read fashion reviews as the renowned French newspaper's lead fashion journalist, she quietly, with no fanfare or big send-off, decided to leave it all behind. After decades of working at the epicenter of the fashion universe, sitting in the front row at all of the shows and interviewing every designer under the sun that she found worth profiling, Karine decided to start her second act, working in a totally different field. Yes, a creative one, but still a 180-degree change from her career as a writer. So I felt this was the perfect time to speak with her, to have a no-holds-barred discussion about what got her interested in fashion in the first place, the current state of the industry, and where she thinks it will go, and why, when she was at the top of her game, she decided to walk away from it all to chase a new dream. Full disclosure, I have known Karine for years, and I feel that I can say without a doubt that in a world where superficial friendships are part of the game, she is ride or die. Karine is one you can count on. She will give it to you straight, whether you are one of her closest friends, a designer, or a billion-dollar fashion house. Just on a technical side note, I did want to let all you listeners know that Karine and I did our interview over Zoom video, so don't be surprised by a couple of very minor audio issues. And now, I'm going to turn it over to Karine, because if there's one thing I love to do, it's to listen to her tell it like it is. Karine, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I'm really excited to be able to sit down and talk to you about fashion. Uh, thank you so much for you to have for having me. Just it's a pleasure to discuss it with you. So listen, I, you know, as a good journalist would, I tried to research you online to, to discover your history and your, as they say in French, parcours. And there's very little about you online. There, there's nothing about your origin story. So I think I want to start off by just, can you tell us, tell me, um, you know, your whole history, how you came into fashion, how that all happened. Yeah. The thing is, I don't like oversharing. That's why my, you know, my personal presence is quite discreet online. I was born in the north of France, in a city called Amiens. It's where the, our president comes from, too. And when I was 18, I moved to Paris to study. I didn't study anything about fashion or just journalism. I went to class préparatoire which is, you know, where you prepare to go into contests to enter the highest, you know, position in the States. And after that, I moved to um, History of Art um, because I didn't want really to become a teacher and was interested in art. So I went there. And then when I was, when I was doing this, I started interning and I interned at um, Le Figaro first, where they kept me for, as a, you know, 
freelance writer for some time. Then I moved to Madame Figaro for a few years, um, which is the weekly that comes with the Figaro newspaper. And then I was hired at Le Monde as fashion critics. That, that, that sounds way too easy. Like, that's not fair because, I mean, it sounds like me to a certain extent that I had no intention of going into fashion. That wasn't something I studied. And and then it sort of just progressively happened. Um, how how did how did that come about? That did you 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 did you have a passion for writing criticism? I mean, how did you end up going in this direction of fashion, particularly? I didn't have any idea of what I wanted to be. Well, I mean, it changed so many times when I was growing up. I wanted to be an Egyptologist, and then I discovered there was nothing more to discover in Egypt. So I wanted to be. Um, a plane pilot, but I'm short-sighted, so I couldn't. And, you know, and I wanted to be a trader because I watched too much TV. And I wanted to do to be so many things. And then at the end, I didn't know what. So I went to study, you know, class preparatoire is just like a big, you learn about everything. And I learned English with a, a teacher who was like actually the official translator for Philip Roth, which was, you know, it's the best way to learn English. Mm-hmm. And then I studied history of arts because I think that, you know, unconsciously I wanted a job that has something to do with aesthetics, with beauty and with something, you know, not too, you know, too plain and too, something different. So yeah, I wasn't intending to even write. I didn't know. I mean, you know, when you're in class preparatoire, you write all the time. So, you know, you're used to it. Um, so, yeah, it started like this. And it's re- it sounds really almost moronic. I'm sorry, but, you know, for me, it wasn't complicated. So I said yes. And so talk to me a little bit about, because I remember when I, I remember going to the first few fashion shows when I was with Susie, and I was like, okay, you know, this is fine. And then I saw a show that just, when okay this fashion is much more than just clothing it can tell a story it can have impact on what we're yeah. seeing in the world what was that for you where you realized like i want to do this yeah yeah that was actually a big moment you know when i was at le figaro no one really wanted to go to london because it was you know just starting and it was just small designers and everything so i took the opportunity to go there and then i got to go to a mcqueen show it was the Voss collections one with a big glass box you know the taxi driver dropped me somewhere in the east and it was raining and it was freezing and then you have to look for the doors and then you have to enter that room really intimidating with a lot of people you didn't know and then the show started and it was like wow Okay, if is this, if I got to see this regularly, I'm staying. Because it was more than fashion, it was art. Lee was an artist. It was just not a designer, you know. It was, his vision goes beyond clothes, even if he was able to build best clothes in the market. Mm-hmm. And I was really fascinated by this. And it's still one of the best memory ever so yeah that's the moment I decided okay let's stay there and so was it right away working in the in the area of fashion and all of that or did that come later no no no, no. I was interning as a fashion department that was the point you know I would I would have been you know so bad anywhere else I think just you know so yeah no no it was good for that you know you have a very goth look about you and so I can understand why you would be drawn to the work of the McQueen aesthetically speaking, but I can also say that, like you said, it's like yeah. something more than, than that. It's, it's, it's more than just fashion. And that can happen with different aesthetics. So 
But I wanted to ask you, how do you separate that aspect of it? Because you, you love it from a personal perspective, but then there's the, crit the critic side of things as well. So how do you separate the two? And you, you, know, you can love it as a critic and you can love it as a personal aesthetic. How do you how do, you do that balance for you? You know, it's you work in two stages. The first stage is, you know, everything goes onto the page on the computer of everything you feel about, you know, the story. And then you come back to it and you, you, you try to, you know, to take out everything that's too personal. But to be honest, I don't think, you know, it should be it should be too separated. To me, fashion critic is an opinion writing, you know, and it should be seen like this. And because it's impossible to be completely neutral on things like this. So we can you can try. I mean a lot of people are maybe more able to do that than I am, but I can't just you know, and I don't think I think people should realize when you look at the fashion critics printing in any magazines or newspaper or in the internet that there's a part of subjectivity in it. And it's okay. I mean it's an opinion, you know, kind of media. So for you, fashion criticism, you have to have add an opinion. Otherwise, then it isn't fashion criticism. It has to have a point of view and a perspective. I guess for me, when yeah. people ask me about it, it's like the difference between talking about something that you would wear. You know, you can't look at a collection as if it's, would you like to wear it? You have to, you have to put it in a larger context of yeah. where, of course, of course. where it is in the world, how is it an evolution of the designer? I mean, what do you look for when you're, when you're looking at a collection? Honestly, I look, I look for a meaning, you know, and, um, two things, a meaning and a point of view. I really can't stand fashion where there's no point of view on anything, where you just, you know, grab the last trend and do something with it. And mm -hmm. um, what does it mean? I mean, as you said, for the world, for people just, you know, maybe intending to buy it. And I don't talk about me, just, you know, just I don't do my virtual shopping. But it's just like, think about a meaning and a point of view. That's a, idealistically what I'm looking for. And if there's no point of view, uh, you have to search why. And I don't know. I think a good fashion show, when you see the clothes, uh, you may be able to recognize the designer without having the name. Do you think, because I have people come up to me now and say, you know, I want to be a fashion journalist. I want to, I want to do this, be my career. I mean, do you think that fashion criticism is a dying art form? Do you think that there, I mean, I guess I, well, let me ask, see what you say, answer that question. Do you think it's a dying art form, fashion criticism? I think it's mutating very harshly. You know, fashion criticism doesn't exist anymore. I think, I mean, at least in the classical form we are used to. Um, it's turning into something else. I would never advise someone young to start doing this, to be honest. Just, you know, I would, you just like, I think fashion criticism or any form it's going to take, it's going to be for the young people to make up their own jobs for it, find their own way to do this. But whether it is through uh, social media or YouTube or I don't know, anything, and even, you know, classical things or not but no it's not going to because you know fashion shows are mutating and papers are new, mutating everything is you know changing in the same time so 
Yeah. And everyone has access to fashion shows and fashion images, which is a good thing. But everyone has an opinion. So even with, you know, an educated opinion, it's just another opinion. So Yeah, I mean, that's very, very different from when you and I started. It was much more rarefied air where you, if you went to a show, it was a very small community of people who had access to, to any of that, whereas now it's become much more democratic. And I think also there's a lot less fear of, about speaking truth to power in a way, because when we were working in, there were so, you know, so many people were afraid to say what they thought because of advertiser dollars. You, you would never get a bad review to a big advertiser. Those kind of things, you know, happen pretty, pretty consistently with some of the bigger fashion magazines. I mean, not for at the Herald Tribune and not at Le Monde clearly, but I think today the, all bets are off because you know nobody seems to have a fear of the brands in the, in the way it once was. Oh, you think so? Because I think the fear has never been bigger, actually. Really? Explain. At least, at least in traditional media. I mean, you know, talking to people in this profession and looking at magazines and you know and things like that. You see, there are still. I mean, the grip of advertisers and the classic media has never been tighter. You cannot, from when I when I started, even you know, when some people were not on, didn't authorize themselves to talk you know, badly about advertisers, but we will still be able to do, I mean, a styling shoot with mixing brands. Whereas now, when you receive the closest, you have to just like do full looks of a particular brand and things like that, which to me is just the most ridiculous things ever. And But it's it has become really, really common. And, you know, as the press develops and they they lost readers, but they kept the advertisers. So the advertisers became uh, more important than the readers. So, yeah, I think it's just today, just the grief has never been tighter. The only difference is there's many, many, many voice now outside of the official classic industry. I mean, young people on internet, on social media and everything. We have nothing to lose and nothing to win. They can express their own opinion, at least at the beginning, because afterwards, sometimes, you know, they get bought by the brands and everything and they got caught in the you know in the big things but yeah that's all those voice outside but the classic i mean industry has never been much more under advertiser yeah i was referring more to that idea of like the diet products of the world or the outre mode where they've got nothing to lose they're not you know, they they don't have access to the shows anyways. They're seeing it online so they can, you know, there's some yeah. pressure. But it's true that once they, they have their own advertisers, you know, making their own demands, once those, you know, when they start trying to make money off of their side hustle, it does change yeah. the dynamic. I mean, there's another, there's another dynamic that's really changed when we're looking at fashion critics and fashion editors that are now becoming, you know, influencers. So their own roles has changed. I and mean, I don't, that was never something that you wanted to do. You never wanted to play the game. Anytime that we spoke at shows, you always said what you thought. How were you able to just to not play the game, I guess? How were you able to kind of protect yourself from that? I think I won't be able to do it. Just I can't. <laughs> Even if I try to force me, like, you know, to be someone I'm not or just to be nice to anyone or just, I don't know. I can't do that. It's just not, I mean, I have no problem with fashion editor becoming influencers because it shows who you are so it helps understanding what you're doing and what you're writing so i think it's in a way it's a very good thing uh-huh. 
But there's things I won't be able to do. And to be really honest, I'm not really, I've never been chased by brands and everything because, you know, I don't have a model body. Um, I've got my own personal style, which just has nothing to do with the trends and anything. So I'm not really marketable in a way. Hmm. I never try to be. I mean, I cannot dye my hair blonde and just, you know, pretend. You know, I'm that fucking ridiculous Parisian person that I'm not. So take it or leave it. It's just like this. I cannot do anything else. I, just to be honest, I'm never even tried. So that's it. Talk to me a little bit about the evolution of your job because you moved from from intern, then Adam Figueroa, and then you came to Le Monde. Can you talk to me a little bit about... Because you and I, it was like, we used to have teams and then it became you doing the job of five different people. I mean, how has your job evolved from that moment when you were an intern to, you know, leading Le, Le Monde's fashion team? And, and what were the, the highlights and maybe the, the, the most difficult aspects of that, that evolution and change? Well, at the beginning, I've learned everything I know from Virginie Moussa, who was the um, yeah. main fashion writer at Le Figaro and Thanks God she was there because she, you know, she taught me everything. She's not afraid of anything mm-hmm. and she's a strong personality and she, you know, she knows many things being fashion. She's very educated. She's got a strong personality and everything. So, you know, she taught me a lot, like professionally and personally. So, yeah, I've got to observe and learn. And I'm not a very passionate person, so I need to do things. Um, but I was allowed to do a lot of things at, at Le Figaro already, like going to fashion shows and, you know, covering things I was interested in. So that was cool. And then I went to Madame Figaro when I experienced a weekly publication, which was quite different but you know once again I meet different kind of person and everything I also learned that I was really bad with you know the people aspect of this I cannot do very well with this it's just I don't really care about people who are famous for being famous or just even famous it's just I don't know it's just not interesting to me and then I moved to Le Monde and then well thanks God I was you know I had a bit of experience and I was fully prepared to the most I mean ridiculous aspect of it is suddenly everyone wants to be your best friends call you darlings and everything and even people we wouldn't you know answer your phone calls like two months before and it's like okay so yeah you learn that you know sometimes appreciation can be conditional and not about it's not about who you are but where you work and everything and you have to be able to separate all those things and to keep separating it because you know the job at Le Monde to be honest comes with a lot of power and you know I wasn't afraid of it it's not that I just I was very aware it was coming with a lot of responsibilities too so you don't do you know I mean I can be very stressed and everything but you know I'm not I tried not to turn into one of the caricature you see you know in movies about fashion because no thanks I get it it. Susie would always say that to me she's like that the day I stop working you know you'll see on the, you could count on one hand the number of people who will still take my call. Yeah, yeah. yeah I couldn't make a list. And yeah, and it was a bit, you know, you have to be aware of it. Just let go and then let go. You have to let go. It's just, you know, it's not important. You know, it's just work. And it's just like ridiculous little circles of, you know. Yeah. Talk to me a little about actually the, the work process. How do you 
do the actual work itself? Are you taking notes on your phone in a show? Are you looking at images after a show? Like, like the technicality of how you would write your criticism and how you would write your articles. I'm curious to your work process. I mean, my work process actually changed in the way. I mean, at, at the beginning I was taking notes and then I realized I was totally unable to read my own, you know, writing. So it was useless. I have a very photographic memories because I studied a lot of history of art, which means you go to a museum and just you, you know, you get the the pieces just in your brain as, as images. So I just take pictures during shows, you know, of looks. Usually even taking only taking the pictures, it makes it, you know, go through your brains and you process it. And then when you're writing, you have to go back to the pics you took, you take you took, sorry. Because sometimes you're just making up looks that never exist and just you have to check it. But Otherwise, no, I don't take notes anymore during fashion shows. It's just, you know, everything is in the phone now and it's okay. I mean, just I've got a very visual memory and visual way of processing stuff. So for me, it's not a problem. And and as far as writing is concerned, you know, back in the day at the Herald Tribune, the, the point was we would do a, a one main article and we would get an overarching theme and we would weave in the different reviews of the different shows into that overarching theme of the day. But then it became the era of style.com, you know, and where each show would have its 300 word review. What way do you like to write? Do you, you like to write where it's a block of text per, per article, you know, per review? What's, what's, what do you prefer? What's your writing style that you like the most? Um, my writing strategy is the one that, you know, took me usually until three in the morning behind the computer because I'm looking for a main theme from a day, you know, and sometimes the theme appeared at the seven o'clock show. So, yeah, when I don't have a theme, I just usually take notes on every show on a page and then leave it be. After I've got the theme, I just write the whole piece in one, you know, I cannot write, you know, small pieces and then linking it together because it never works at, at least for me it never works i mean it just looks you know very artificial and everything so i have to write everything in the you know in the same way um but sometimes you've got the theme of the day at you know at the 10 o'clock show and it's okay and just you know it makes your works easier for the day but sometimes not and i mean it's a game what do you what do you think about the where we are currently in 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 the fashion industry where you know we're seeing everything is virtual there's a debate about fashion shows there's the debate about seasons there's a debate about the you know fashion shows aren't even I remember when we started when you would get a fashion review that was a bad fashion review that could affect the sales of a of that season whereas now most of the buy happens before the shows even happen I mean what do you feel where do you feel we are now in in the fashion scheme of things I think we are not going anywhere just running in circles because we already had those problems before the pandemic you know it was already a question. It has been the question for five years and no one seems to have any answers. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, I'm not against virtual shows. I mean, if it's a way to express yourself, you know, in other fields like theater, they go from stage to movies and it works. I mean, just, but for fashion, it's just about everyone has to find his or hers own way with things you know fashion for dummies is not going to work you can have one recipe for everyone it's not going to work like this so it's really complicated do you think that um 
the the concept of a fashion fashion week says it has been going on for les décennies for for decades still has validity and it's in that in that form of of you know new york london you know milan paris does that still seem relevant to you well i think fashion week to me i mean it it should still exist, but it needs to be cleaned up. I mean, not everyone needs to, you know. The problem became that at some point, everyone decided they needed a fashion show for, you know, whatever reason. So it turned into a giant bullshit stuff with things going on in every way. Maybe the other problem is the format. You have London, Milan, Paris, and New York, because there's many, many, many more fashion capitals developing. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with this? I think the fashion industry in Europe is, you know, only focused on its own belly button. Just, you know, we are here and everything. But when you go through any social media and everything, you see thousands and dozens of you know creative people from everywhere in the world and they do great things but they have no official voice you know at the big kid tables mm -hmm. but you know we have to think about what if we are not the center of the fashion universe mm -hmm. what's happening there? yeah i mean because that's that's the question do you need to you know there's that whole idea that if if you really want to be taken seriously in fashion you need to show in Paris like that that's the thing but I don't know if that's still really true anymore especially with social media and and, the, and direct to consumer shopping I, I I don't know I feel like that the 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 need for Paris and showing in Paris maybe isn't what it once was but who decides it I mean and who decided it was okay to just follow that I mean Fashion in Paris, fashion shows in Paris is okay if you're Chanel, Saint Laurent, Dior, or, you know, a house name. But otherwise, just spending thousands of euros coming from wherever to have a fashion show in the middle of this. I don't know if it's, you know, for, I don't know who decided, you know, the kind of rules. I mean, stops with... As I said, fashion for dummies, you know, fashion in fashion shows in Paris are not for everyone. I mean, maybe it's good to, you know, to sit down and think what's good for you, what makes sense for your brand, what's, you know. Nowadays, like we are in 2020 and, you know, we are not in the 50s or 70s or even 90s where, you know, you couldn't exist on any fashion front if you don't have, you know, your weren't in vogue or any, you know, any kind of big serious publication. I mean, there's many, many friends of mine who are designers and who are very successful, you know, brands who are artists or anything. And they are very successful. They make a lot of money and you won't never ever find them in that kind of publication. And it's okay. I mean, you know, they don't need it. I think media person need to accept that we are not mandatory anymore. We're just, there's a way around traditional media. Yeah. Um, maybe it's time to think about it. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. I think that traditional media is, is no longer the tent pole that it once was, you know, for, for making it as a in the world as a as a fashion brand for sure. And speaking of, you know, not needing it anymore, you know, you quietly decided to to start a new a chapter in your own life. You left the Figaro middle of twenty twenty with I mean sorry, you left you let you yourself left Le Monde uh middle of twenty twenty. You know, without any real fanfare, you just kind of, you know, decided that you were going to go and do other things. What made you decide, like, 
okay, I've seen enough fashion shows. I'm, I'm good. It wasn't really I've seen enough fashion shows. It was I've seen enough of the press thing. You know, I've been very, very lucky in my career. I worked at the two of the most revered biggest newspaper in the world, Le Figaro and Le Monde. We are just, you cannot do better, I mean, in terms of newspaper, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was finished with it. Um, I was bored a bit by the job. It has nothing to do with the quality of the, you know, it's just me being bored. I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years. I didn't want to become that old, big, you know, bitter lady, like, you know, getting into the get off my loan kind of state of mind all the time. And I don't know, I didn't want to stay just for staying because you, you know, you're addicted to your front row seat or something like this. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, but I had to think a long time about it because it's not when for so long you're who you are, your public image, your identity have been defined by, you know, your media and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just happened naturally. I say, okay, um, things are not going to change. Um, the designer are not getting any better. The preachers are not getting any better. I mean, I had the, the very, I mean, I was lucky enough to work with and to meet with um, Asdina Laya, Karl Lagerfeld, people like this. Mm-hmm. I work also with Ricardo Tichy. I know I got to meet Alexander McQueen and stuff like this. And then, honestly, most of the design, up-and-coming designers we have at the moment, I don't really want to sit down with them to talk. So I say, okay, maybe it's time to, you know, hmm. to leave a to someone who wants to be there and to do something else. And yeah, and I wanted to to be more to do something more creative, maybe just you know writing. Being a fashion journalist is basically sitting on your ass and just writing about people doing things, but you don't really do things. You're just talking about people doing things. So, and, yeah. so now, and so now you're doing things. So you're completely changing your yeah. career. Yeah. I'm doing in a completely, I cannot really talk precisely about it right now, but yeah, I'm going into another completely other direction. There's nothing to do with press, nothing to do with writing. And yeah, because I, I wanted it. I mean, just. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're leaving Paris, you're traveling to a different, you know, the uh, literally other side of the world and completely doing something different. I mean, that's incredibly brave. I, I'm, I'm so impressed by that. How, how, where do you think that that courage comes from to just do an 180 to a certain extent? I think, honestly, it's more an instinct like courage, you know? Um, all the big decisions I made in my life, like, you know, leaving north of France to come to Paris and then leaving class preparatoire to go to do something else and then going into interning in a newspaper, I did it almost without thinking. And... Yeah. Um, all the things that has worked for me were, you know, decided like this. If I have to overthink things or I feel like I hesitate and everything, it's not good. You know, things has to be obvious. I didn't even think twice about, you know, thinking about changing everything. Just like, okay, for me, it was natural. So it was obvious. I'm not even afraid. I should be maybe, but I, I, I maybe I don't realize. I don't know. It's just you know, it's just what I wanted to do, what I had to do, and just doing something different. I mean, we are all very different. I have a lot of friends who are journalists, and we are we are born to do that job. We are passionate about it. We want to stay there, and we 
want to fight and everything. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's their way of doing stuff. But me, I couldn't stand to write another, you know. And I'm quite honestly, I'm glad I quit before, you know, I started to have to, you know, to put out um, an article about fashion and COVID almost every day because I wouldn't be able to do it probably so it's better to let people we can do it you know and who want to do it and we enjoy doing it mm-hmm. uh, you know because basically I'm just not in the one of the thing I didn't want in this industry is just not being someone waiting for Friday night or for the weekend you know mm-hmm. otherwise I would have done another job I would be a teacher or something and um, that's it okay Speaking of, I know that we both were like, I don't know if I'd recommend anybody to be, you know, a fashion critic or a fashion journalist at this point, but I was wondering if you had any kind of advice for somebody who, well, two things, people who might want to go into our field, like what would you, what kind of advice would you get, give them? And then maybe advice for designers, you know, who you, you know, wish that they knew this before they interviewed with you, for example. I think the, the, the first advice, even if I hate giving advice because I'm so bad at following them myself, it's just know yourself and be yourself. That's the first thing. You cannot succeed, especially in a creative profession, if you don't know who you are and what you like. Maybe it's not going to be the same thing that's, other people maybe it's gonna get it make it more complicated to go through everything because you know but that's that's the points are going to you know to help you in the long run Uh you know whenever if even if you want to to be a journalist or anything you know knowing what you like and we don't like from the start i mean you don't need to be a diva and everything but just knowing what you're good at, what you enjoy, what you like and what you don't like will help you make choices because you have to make your own choices. Just don't let the industry decide for you. Um, It's the same for a designer. I mean, knowing who you are, what your point of view on style and everything is, how you want to work, how you cannot work, what you can say yes to or what you can say no to, whatever, you know, the money at stake or anything. Sometimes it may look crazy, but I think at the end, that's the best, you know. Someone like Asdin Alaya was almost allergic to any compromise. He did things his own ways. Sometimes, you know, he failed, but mostly he succeeded. And everyone remember him as, you know, someone with integrity and talent. And I think that's the more important things at the end. Let me, I want to ask you my five generic fashion questions that I ask all of my invitees. The first one is, what is your favorite piece of clothing that you own? Huh, I've got a leather molded corset from the last show of Alexander McQueen at Givenchy, which I cherish. And it's, I actually worn it once. That's when I learned that you cannot sit in it, otherwise you faint. Um, yeah, that's my favorite piece of clothes ever. And it's exactly. like a big sculpture, you know, with the hats and everything. And to me, it's just, it's like an armor. And it's a symbol of what I like in fashion and it's a symbol of McQueen's works, you know, was like making women. He said once, I think he wanted to make women like dangerous and to... So men hesitate to try to hurt them, which is the most beautiful things you can say. I love that. 
many women or men, you know, they don't have a lot of money to put into fashion and to in, invest in clothing. But if you were to advise someone, you know, to save up and really invest in one particular item of clothing, what would that item of clothing be? I would advise people to go to save their money and to go to someone in, you know, in the Taylor part of London, um, Seville Row, and just have a suit or jacket made in bespoke for the rest of their lives. I mean, it's not, when you compare the price, it's just less expensive than, you know, most of the things you find in luxury ready to wear anyway. So I like that answer. Uh, <laughs> who was your favorite designer, living or dead? Huh, Lima Queen, of course. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, there, nothing else needs to be said. I get it. Um, which which trend will you never follow? Which trend will I never follow? Yeah, oh, so many of them. Um, no, there's um, the trends that consist in cosplaying poor while dressing in very expensive clothes that made to imitate the you know the style of poor people. That's something that makes my skin crawl, to be mm-hmm. honest. Okay, what do you love most about fashion? Hmm, the people. You have to explain that to me when you say the people. What does that mean? Um, I mean, that's the place where you find the most crazy, creative, free people I've ever met. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, obviously not everyone is nice or good or, you know, people I like in this industry, but there's so many people at everywhere, at every part in the industry that's completely eccentric completely in their world and doing their own things and making, I don't know, the world funnier and less boring every day. So yeah, that's the thing I I like the most. I want to ask you a little bit about when you're looking back at your career, now that you're moving on to to something else, um, a whole other field of of interest, what are are some of the, the shows that are your highlights, the things that you hold dear to your heart, those things that you're like, I'm so happy that I was in the room to see this 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 happened. Um, there's a Vos show by Lee McQueen. We I talked to you about already. Like uh, it was in London. Mm-hmm. You know the one with the big glass box with the lady with the butterflies at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Chanel show. Um, the Metida old in Edinburgh in to in 2012, which was like an incredible moment. It was in Lego with it through the castle where Mary Queen of Scots was born and it's streamed now. So we just, you know, um, the show was incredible and it's starting actually snowing in the middle of the show and it was one of the most magical things I've ever seen. And I also say that full disclaimer because I love Scotland and it was really, really a poetic moment, I must say. And then the flip side of that, what was the, maybe the worst show that you ever saw or... Well, what is the show, what is the, what really makes a bad show? Maybe if you don't want to name names about what the worst show was that you ever saw, but what, what really makes a show bad? People who try too hard. I mean, it's just, you know, you feel the bullshit coming at you. And, you know, it's just, you know, gimmicky, gimmicky stuff. I mean, people who work like for walking on boots just make me want to slap them, if you see what I mean. Um, just that, that's the kind of things you're like, okay, that's really gimmicky and that's all. Um, but actually what makes me, what I found the more ridiculous, it's not even the people doing it, it's the reaction of the ones who fall for it, you know? 
we are like, oh, this is genius. This is not fucking genius, but okay. And because there's a lot of people in this industry who are afraid to be seen as, you know, old, not trendy and everything. So they jump on every, every trend and say, you know, declare it like genius. But, you know, I think people should be free to don't find it genius if you don't find it genius. I agree. I absolutely agree. Karine, merci beaucoup. Thank you so, so much. This has been so wonderful. Mais merci à toi. C'était un plaisir. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.